0: Thank <laughs> you. To South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington working on this program very remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Thursday, January 19, 2023. Pope Francis expresses concern at the news of violent clashes in South Sudan ahead of his visit
1: to the country.
2: Pope Francis expressed concern at the news of violent clashes in South Sudan and prayed for peace and national reconciliation and an end to the attacks
0: and some parties that signed the South Sudan's 2018 peace agreement are calling on the government to deploy the unified forces to prevent intercommunal clashes and cattle raids in the country we
1: hope the Preparations for the deployment of the necessary unified force that graduated will be done accordingly. We'll
0: have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Pope Francis is set to travel to the Democratic Republic of Congo and South Sudan at the end of the month. A visit the pontiff had earlier been forced to postpone due to health issues. Sabina Castelfranco reports from Rome.
2: Pope Francis visits the Democratic Republic of Congo from January 31st to February 3rd and then will spend two days in South Sudan before returning to the Vatican. When the Holy See announced the trip, which was called off due to the Pope's kneel ailments last summer, it said the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland would be traveling with the Pope to the two African countries. The Pope will first travel to Kinshasa, where he will meet with the country's authorities, victims of the conflict in the eastern part of the country and representatives of charitable organizations. Then he will fly to Juba, the capital of South Sudan, on February 3rd. Kinshasa, a large and impoverished city of more than 10 million people, is getting a facelift ahead of the papal visit. The apostolic nuncio in the DRC, Ettore Balestrero, said a huge effort is being made to ensure security and public order while the Pope is in the country. It is the first time a Pope travels to the country in 37 years, and Balestrero said that for many people, Pope Francis's arrival is, in his words, a dream come true. In an interview with Vatican News, the Archbishop said that the main purpose of the visit to the DRC is to awaken faith in those who do not have it and to strengthen the joy of those who do. He added that throughout the country, there is an anticipation of receiving a word of consolation and also of healing of the wounds that are still bleeding, especially in the East. On Tuesday, Pope Francis sent his condolences to victims of a bombing of a Pentecostal church in Kazindi in North Kivu province in eastern Congo. Islamic militants claimed responsibility for the attack that killed at least 14 people and injured more than 60. The Pope was originally planning to visit Goma in the north, but this violence continues to ravage parts of the province the stop was scrapped. Pope Francis has long desired to travel to predominantly Christian South Sudan, but the unstable situation in the country had complicated plans for a visit. A peace deal was signed in the country in 2018, putting an end to a five-year civil war which killed 400,000 people, but the nation is still reeling from hunger and violence. Speaking at the end of the Sunday Angelus prayers in St. Peter's Square in December, the Pope made one more appeal for an end to the violence in South Sudan and asked for prayers for reconciliation. Pope Francis expressed concern at the news of violent clashes in South Sudan and prayed for peace and national reconciliation and an end to the attacks. He also called for civilians to be respected. In South Sudan, Pope Francis will meet with internally displaced persons and take part in an ecumenical prayer service at the John Garang Mausoleum in Juba, where he will also celebrate Mass on Sunday before returning to the Vatican. Sabina Castelfranco for VOA News, Rome.
0: A religious scholar and professor at DePaul University in Chicago, Stan Elu, who authored a book, African Catholicism, says Pope Francis will listen to young people and women on controversial topics such as the future of the church marriage and celibacy. He tells Carol Van Damme it's part of a worldwide consultation the pontiff began last year that will wrap up in 2024.
3: In November the 1st, I organized with three other dicasteries at the Vatican a virtual meeting between over 3,000 African young people and Pope Francis. So we organized this with the dicastery for communication for the evangelization of peoples and then the uh, commission on the synod as well as the pontifical council on uh, uh, commission on latin america so the pope was very very animated during that conversation it was meant to be an hour we spend an hour 30 minutes so the pope is going to meet these young people, some representatives, in Persian. He met with them virtually in November, so he's going to meet with them uh, in Persian in Kinshasa. Pope so Francis believes that the future of Africa will be determined by the young people. Perhaps it's also a strategic uh, approach, because for those who've been, you know, smelted in the furnace of conservatism, the uh, hardcore conservatives in the continent, uh, some of them high-ranking church officials who've been on for the last 40 years, you're not going to change them in the next in the next one year or two. And the young people are the ones who are very vibrant. In uh, twenty twenty eighteen. 2018, uh, they had this um, synod on young people. So it's it's actually a very strategic move by the Pope to look at Africa through the lens of young people. In in South Sudan, it's more ecumenical, so it's an ecumenical visit, rather than, say, the Pope making an official visit. Yes, it's an official visit to South Sudan, but he is going to be there with other church leaders. In Congo, uh, the issue also of clerical sexual abuse, is uh, front and center because February last year, the Bishops Conference of Congo had published this document.
2: Well, what about the Catholic conservatives? What are they? Where are they in this picture with Pope Francis, who seems to be far more liberal-leaning than the previous popes?
3: Yes, this is the contradiction of the times. That a few years back, Cardinal Sarah, the the former head of the um, Congregation and the Dicastery for Sacred Worship. He he was the most high-ranking church uh, official from Africa. He's from Guinea, and he is considered like the the lion of the conservative group. Not only in Africa, but he he crisscrosses uh, the United States, Canada. He's a, he's a constant visitor here with the conservatives. I mean, the last controversy was really the work on celibacy during the synod on the on on, on the Amazon. Sarah will epitomize really the kind of conservatism that you see in the continent of
0: Africa. That's Stan Elo, author of the book, Handbook of African Catholicism. He spoke with viewers, Carol Van Damme. Representatives of the parties that signed the South Sudan's 2018 revitalized peace agreement are urging the government to deploy the necessary unified forces to prevent intercommunal clashes and deadly cattle raids. The chairperson of the ceasefire and transitional security arrangement monitoring and verification mechanism says the country's Joint Defense Board should provide a detailed plan for deploying the forces. For
1: VOA News, Charlton Doki reports from Juba. Several party officials spoke earlier today at the start of the meeting of the ceasefire and transitional security arrangements monitoring and verification mechanism in Juba. Major General Chol Ray, who is the representative for the Sudan People's Liberation Movement in opposition, was one of them. We hope the preparations for the deployment of the necessary unified force that graduated will be done accordingly. And this will also give us a hope to have a better settlement where we would be able to think of the developmental agenda instead of pursuing resolving conflict here in South Sudan. Major General Lek Kwareng, who represents the former detainees in the ceasefire monitoring body, says the unified forces should be deployed in Upper Nile, Jonglei and the Greater Pibora Administrative Area to end ongoing violence that has killed dozens of people in the three areas. We cannot wait for the second batch to be graduated. We do not know how long it's going to take, maybe six months or one year, because... The community fighting or cattle raiding in these three states is very alarming. So I'm hiding the unified command to speed up, deploy a part of the unified forces. Because recently I was in Bor and I have witnessed the influx of the white army that passed through the town. Late last month, clashes killed 56 people during four days of fighting in the Greater Pibor administrative area after young men from one ethnic community attacked another ethnic group, according to local officials. Citizen VM Chairperson Lieutenant General Asrat Denero Ahmad says the first phase of the graduation of the necessary unified forces ended on January 14th with the graduation of forces in the Kaljak Training Center of Unity State. General De Nero says more than 55,000 unified forces have graduated. He is calling on the Joint Defense Board, or JDB, to implement the next security arrangements tasks. Cities Ambien JDB to provide the deployment of plan of the graduated forces and further urges the JTSC to provide the plan of for phase two training as well as the future plan for containment sites. Under the 2018 revitalized peace deal, South Sudan is supposed to train and graduate 83,000 personnel to take charge of security during the ongoing transitional period. The troops will make up the police, army, intelligence services and prison services. General De Niro says he is concerned about recent clashes between government forces and National Salvation Front rebels and is appealing to the government and holdout representatives to return to the Rome peace talks to resolve their differences ahead of next month's purple visit. As South Sudan prepares to receive the Holy Father Pope Francis, Citizen Vienna appealed to Artagnu and Soma to resume the Rome peace process and uh, initially the integration of national monitors into cities' ambient structure. Earlier this month, President Salva Kiir suspended the talks with holdout rebel groups that were being held in Rome. Kiir said the holdout groups have continuously engaged in activities which destabilize the country. He says the government will only resume the talks when the rebel groups agree to engage in genuine peace negotiations. Spokespersons for the holdout groups denied the president's accusations and said the president's decision to suspend the talks indicates the government is not at all that interested in the Rome peace process. For VOA News, I am Charlton Doki in Juba.
0: Sudanese Islamic thinker and reformer Mahmoud Mohammed Taha was executed on January 18, 1985, on charges of apostasy and heresy. Many Sudanese believe the execution precipitated the downfall of Sudan's former military dictator Jafar Muhammad ni Meri, who was ousted in a popular uprising. Taha and his followers called for reinterpretation of Islam to accommodate Sudan's ethnic and religious diversity and end discriminations against women and non-Muslims. Nabil Biaggio reached out to Edward Thomas, a scholar of Sudan and South Sudan, who wrote the biography of Taha entitled "Islam's Perfect Stranger" to discuss the relevance of Taha's ideas to the current protest against military rule in Sudan.
4: Mustafa Mahmoud had come up with a workable solution to the religious element of the problem in Sudan in 20th-century Sudan, which was. sudan which included today south sudan was an incredibly almost impossibly diverse country with hundreds of languages many religions but but the sudanese state was constructed around a more or less exclusionary version of islam and the stars countered that with um by drawing on inclusive elements in the in the Islamic tradition, you had a state which was built on very authoritarian uh, and often divisive uh, versions of Islam. But then you, within the Islamic religion, there are many, many themes and trends. Not every version of Islam is authoritarian. There are there's, there's this movement called Sufism, which is a spiritual movement, a movement about exploring spirituality. It's also a movement that emerged in places, in African places, where there was no Muslim state, there was no sultan. They, what you had instead was people sort of being drawn to Islam as a, a set of ideas and a way of organising society that, 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 that was attractive to them. Uh, and Ustaz drew on themes within Sufism um, to propose a kind of Islam which was pretty inclusive and which eliminated the, some of the, the discriminations uh, against women and against non-Muslims, discriminations that have become a feature of legal and authoritarian versions of Islam. Another you know, thing about Ustam Mahmoud was that he had a lot of affinities with uh, you know, with some of the stuff that's popular today, things like, you know, human rights stuff and, you know, and notions of democracy and, and so forth. But when he talks about human rights and notions of democracy, he didn't go around invoking, you know, the international covenant on civil and political rights or, or you know, the sort of global, the global language. No, he tried to find elements within Sudanese traditions and Sufi traditions that supported his beliefs. So, it was, there was something that felt radically uh, local about about his
1: teaching. And 38 years later, uh, since his execution, how is uh, Ustaz Tlahar remembered in Sudan? That dictator, Jafar al
4: May, uh, was somebody who had a lot of enemies, and in the end he was Ustaz so Mahmoud's enemy because he decided in the end that it was easy to run Sudan by invoking a authoritarian versions of Islam and he and he executed Ustaz Mahmoud for it. And that execution happened about two or three months before the Jaffa Jaffa-Nameri, the Mary dictatorship Ja and Mary's downfall. so in, and many, many people, in telling Sydney's history will say that the execution of this elderly, pious, intellectual and and quite charismatic and very peaceful person, that execution was the thing that turned revulsion against the dictatorship into a movement for change
1: um, and brought the dictatorship down. And the the late Ustaz Mahmoud Muhammad Taha famously faced his death by hanging on the gallows of the Islamists and President uh, Jafar Nimari with a smile. Yes. How would he feel about Sudan today? In other words, have things changed from where they were in 1985 when uh, Ustaz Mahmoud was executed? Ustaz
4: used to communicate people, people through preaching on street corners and handing out pamphlets that were printed at home Uh, and now everybody's got a smartphone and there's lots of access to information access to new ideas I think he would have probably been attracted to the resistance committees, these are these groups of young people who categorically reject the continued rule of the military and their continued control of the military over everyday life and over economic life. And they just say no. Their their power is in, in, in steadfast rejection of compromise. So I think that he would probably appreciate that conviction, that principle that animating these young people they're not pe- they're not people who've sorted out all, all of Sudan's problems, but it's not their job to sort out Sudan's problems. It, what, they have a political power because they they believe in themselves and they're prepared to sacrifice for what they believe in. and that is quite a frightening power
0: uh, for the Sudanese so this divisive and ugly Sudanese system of rule. That was Edward Thomas, scholar of Sudan and South Sudan and author of the book Islam's Perfect Stranger. He spoke with my colleague Nabil Biagio from London. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, how is road safety in your city? Stay tuned for an answer to that question after the break.
5: is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're
0: listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. In Senegal, two major traffic crashes in just eight days killed 62 people, reviving the question of road safety standards in Senegal and across Africa. The continent is home to the highest rate of road fatalities in the world. Experts blame dangerous mix of poor infrastructure and driver education as well as low quality imports. Anna Hamschlag reports from
5: Dakar. Rusted buses fill to cars' roads at rush hour. Passengers hang off the back doors while teenagers on rollerblades cling to the sides, dodging horse carts and unpainted speed bumps. There are no traffic lights or stop signs. Cars have the right of way, and pedestrians cross at high risk. Road conditions outside Senegal's major cities can feel even more dangerous, where packed buses barrel down two-lane potholed roads, the roofs piled with mountains of cargo and sheep. There are no medians or streetlights, and farm animals roam freely into unchecked traffic. On Monday, it was a donkey that caused a public bus to swerve and collide with a truck in the country's northern region of Luga. 22 people were killed and 28 injured. Just eight days prior, 40 people were killed and about 80 injured in a crash in Senegal's southeastern Kaffrine region. A tire had burst, sending a passenger bus into the path of another oncoming bus. The government responded by banning night bus trips between districts and outlawed used tire imports. At 26.6 deaths per 100,000 people, Africa has the worst rate of traffic fatalities in the world, nearly triple that of Europe, according to a 2018 report by the World Health Organization. Christopher Cost is the Africa program director at the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy, an urban planning nonprofit. He says that in order to improve road safety, African countries need to shift public transportation business models.
2: Because in so many African countries, We're still operating with a target system where driver incomes are directly related to the number of people they carry. And as a result, they rush as fast as possible to the destination. And that leads to a lot of the road safety challenges that we have.
5: Switching to a salary system would incentivize drivers to drive safely instead of cramming their buses full and speeding to their destinations, Kost said. Carolyn Mimano is a partnerships manager, also with the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy. Public transport could be further improved by limiting the age of buses, increasing bus inspections, and capping driver hours, she said. Within cities, governments have many options to improve safety. African city streets are shared by cars, pedestrians, cyclists, street vendors, and even horse carts. Yet planning efforts focus only on vehicles, Momeno said. Pedestrians in Africa represent 40% of all road traffic deaths, compared to 23% globally, according to the WHO. We still have that car centric
3: approach to transport planning. Even with road crashes, we think that the solution is to expand the
5: road, and that doesn't really solve the problem. What actually happens is people speed more. Improvement is possible. Mamano points to Rwanda's capital, Kigali, which has speed cameras and salaried bus drivers, and Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, which has elevated pedestrian crosswalks, wide sidewalks, and 21 kilometers of dedicated bus lanes. Nika Henry is the head of the United Nations Road Safety Fund.
2: Africa and its development partners must prioritize road safety in their national budgets at a level that is commensurate to the burden and develop and implement national road safety programs in a way that engages all of the government, including health, transport, education, finance, and trade sectors.
5: Senegal sees an average of 745 road fatalities per year, with most deadly accidents occurring at night, according to Senegal's Information Bureau. Annika Hammerschlag for VOA News, Dakar, Senegal.
0: That's all we prepared for you this Thursday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you missed this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with Lomerica, Jasban and the song Salam Ya Sudan. I'm your host, John in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us this evening. Remember to join us again tomorrow evening for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. <music>
2: i yeah. We'll see you